expressing was a disgust toward a particular practice called the selling of indulgences. Has anybody ever heard of that phrase before? Indulgences, yeah? Indulgences. It comes from a Latin term, indulgentia, or indulgentia, which means to permit. These were certificates of permission, or granting forgiveness of sins. The, the practice of the Christian church for centuries, actually prior to Luther, had been that if you give us money, we will give you a certificate of indulgence that says that you are granted forgiveness of sins, past and future. And uh, in other words, this was a practice of the Christian church that had eventually become a very complex instrument. This is, a, I'm, I'm quoting now from a Christianity Today article. It had become a complex instrument for granting forgiveness of sins, granted to pilgrims visiting shrines, things that were considered relics by the church, that if you go to this place, if you go on pilgrimage here, go on pilgrimage there, you'll be given this certificate, this indulgence. In other words, forgiveness was franchised. Forgiveness was up for sale. And you can kind of understand that, I mean, and consider this. This is like a t completely different world. We, we, we kind of think in a, in a way that's very independent and um, like we, we, we're kind of skeptical of authority and things like that. But, but this is, you know, dark ages, 1500s, medieval times where authority, whatever was said from those in authority, that was, that was real. That was truth. That was, you know, you might consider that the population at the time was like not thinking straight, but they, they were, this was just like, this was their culture. This was their, if they said it, I'm going to believe it. And so those in authority in the Christian church at the time were abusing that authority um, and really for financial gain. And so forgiveness was up for sale. And it was, a time, it was this time, uh, this context in which indulgence were kind of being given out left and right, that the 95 theses were published. And you might ask the question, well then how, how could this, this man, Martin Luther, who at the time, or formerly he was a monk, but at the time he was an ordained priest of the church. He was a professor at one of the, the universities that was sponsored by the church. How, how could this man get to the point where he was opposing a practice that had been already founded for centuries before he arrived? What, what were the things that led up to his experience? And, you know, throughout the month, we're going to be talking about some of the things that, that Martin Luther studied, some of the things that, that he came across. We're also going to be talking about some of the people who paved the way to where he actually started to think a little bit differently than, you know, than the system and things like that. But that will come in, weeks, uh, in, in the next few weeks. But right now, um, I want to focus on a critical moment in Martin Luther's experience where he, you know, he was a German, um, a German priest, he finally found the means and the opportunity to go on pilgrimage and to visit Rome. And in Rome, Martin Luther visited something known as the, uh, the Scala Sancta. Uh, that's Latin for holy stairs. Maybe you know it as Pilate's Staircase. And uh, Pilate's Staircase, this was uh, believed to be the very stairs that led up to Pontius Pilate's Praetorium in Jerusalem. Okay, And around the 300s, Constantine's mother actually transported those steps from Jerusalem to Rome uh, to kind of enshrine them and make it, make it a, a special experience. And it was there on these steps that, um, that Martin Luther had a very huge turning point in his life. Um, just prior to his, Martin Luther's visit to Rome, 
the Pope at the time, the, the Bishop of Rome, he, he actually declared an indulgence for anyone who would walk up these stairs on their knees and recite several different things, you know, um, several different prayers, several different uh, confessions and things like this. And so Martin Luther, being a faithful Christian as he was, wanting to follow the experience of, that, was, that was outlined, he himself one day found himself on these stairs, praying heartfully, devout, devoutedly. And it says that uh, Luther was one day devoutly climbing these steps when suddenly a voice like thunder struck his heart. And there was a verse that he had taught upon uh, in his professorship days, you know. There was a verse that just kind of flashed into his memory, and it was this verse from Romans chapter 1. Maybe some of you studied it uh, this morning. Um, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And this simple phrase just kind of struck deeply in his heart as he was kneeling, as he was climbing. This verse just came to his heart. The Spirit of the Lord really struck him, and it says, The just shall live by what? By faith, right? The just shall live by faith. There's a quote from this book, uh, The Great Controversy, that outlines some of the, these reformers' experience throughout Christian history. And it says, He, speaking of Luther, he sprang to his feet and hastened from the place in shame and horror. That text never lost its power upon his soul. From that time, he saw more clearly than ever before the fallacy of trusting to what? To human works for salvation and the necessity of constant faith in what? In the merits of Christ, right? I mean, you can imagine, this, this was finally, like, it was like the light bulb kind of turned on. This was a dawning of a new day in Martin Luther's experience. And, back, and, and so Martin Luther, what he did, he, he went back to his, his place in Germany. He went back to his office and began to study. Martin Luther renewed his commitment to study the scriptures and to not let any one of his teachings any one of his actions and decisions, his spiritual practices, he renewed his commitment to not let any one of those be founded on anything but the word of God. Okay? And the scriptural authority became something that, that was a, a, a root for him, so to speak. And we'll explore that root of the Reformation in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, there was an official who was appointed in Germany by the church. Um, to actually sell indulgences and actually make this uh, a very marketed campaign. His name was uh, Johann Tetzel. Maybe you know him as John Tetzel. I tried to find the most flattering picture I could of him. Uh, but, but anyways, so, so John Tetzel, this was a man who, who, who was, uh, uh, he also was related, you know, he, he was an ordained, ordained official there of the church. He was specifically positioned in, in Germany to, to sell indulgences so that they could uh, gain funds for the erection, for the building of uh, St. Peter's Church, I believe also in Rome. And so he promoted these things. He, he, was a, he was a salesman. He came up with jingles. He came up with rhyming phrases and things like that. Um, yeah, his, his history is well noted. He declared eventually, he was, he was making claim that by virtue of his indulgences, these certificates of pardon, that all the sins which the purchaser should afterward desire to commit would be forgiven him. Again, this is where forgiveness was, was franchised and things like that. He even went on to assert that the indulgences that were purchased by him had the power, or from him, had the power to save those who had already passed away. And this is where, like, final destiny, you know, judgment, and, oh, I can actually affect that beyond the grave 
with my material goods. This is where things became very, very confused. And his famous jingle, the jingle that he's known for most, as in English, it says this, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And this was taking place in Germany, okay? This is taking place in Germany, which is where, uh, where Martin Luther was officiating, where he was serving as a minister or priest. And there were some of his own parishioners who, purchasing indulgences from John Tetzel, would come to Martin Luther expecting to be absolved from their sins. And Martin Luther turned them away and said, hey, repentance from sin is the only thing that grants you forgiveness. Belief in Christ is the only thing that grants you forgiveness. And so these parishioners, they went back to John Tetzel asking for, for a refund, so to speak, you know. And this inflamed Tetzel. He's like, who is this guy that is totally contradicting the decrees of the church? And this began to set fire. Um, uh, Johann Tetzel was, was kind of enraged himself, but Martin Luther took to the pulpit himself, okay? He realized that some flames of antagonism were beginning to stir, and Martin Luther got back into the pulpit as a champion of truth. I love it. This is how that that same book, Great Controversy, puts it. He set before the people, speaking about Martin Luther, he set before the people the offensive character of sin and taught them that it is impossible for man by his own works to lessen its guilt, that should say guilt, or evade its punishment, the grace of Christ cannot be purchased. It is a free what? It is a free gift. Man, that's the message of the gospel, friends. The grace of Christ cannot be purchased. It is a free gift. He counseled the people not to buy indulgences, but to look in faith to a crucified Redeemer. Can you say amen? Oh, man. And this, uh, I would just have, would have loved to hear Martin Luther preach this. <laughs> He's being very bold at this point, you know. These are practices that are common. These are practices that are endorsed by the greater church. And Martin Luther is saying, no, 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 this is what the word says. This is what the word says. He's counseling people to look in faith to a crucified redeemer, that forgiveness and the assurance of salvation is not to be granted by what I can give, but what I can receive from Jesus. Not in return for some great effort nor a sum of money. It is by grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so here's Luther. He's realizing that the storm is a brewing. (laughs) And he's, at this point, he's realizing that there is a tide of corruption. There is a tide that Christendom is moving towards that God has actually put him in a position of responsibility to stand against. You know, he's a professor, he's a priest, he, he's a preacher who, who's in the pulpit week after week. And so he seeks an opportunity, and around the year 1517, yes, 500 years ago, this is, this is actually really cool to think about. And he, at that time, I think he was only 33 years old. Okay, so I imagine myself, man, what would I be doing if everybody else was teaching, preaching this, but the Word of God says this, you know? And Martin Luther, at the age of 33, I believe, he's... He's seeking an opportunity to use his uniquely entrusted influence and position there in Germany. And he seeks an opportunity where he has a more effective time and a more effective setting to really just bring light to the truth of God's word, that the just shall live by faith. And soon an occasion arose. The Castle Church in Wittenberg, we have a picture here. The Castle Church in Wittenberg was actually a place that housed several relics of the church. And on special holy days, um, very devout followers, pilgrims, would make their, their way to these, these relics to, to give homage, um, you know, to seek absolution, to, to, to purchase indulgences and things like this. 
And on one such holy day that was approaching, it was All Saints Day of 1517, which usually falls on November 1. Um, Martin Luther decided to take advantage of this. Okay, there are going to be a lot of travelers coming this way. So the day before, the eve of November 1, which happens to be October 31, he actually takes the opportunity to, to post his 95 Theses. He knows that people are going to be there. He knows that people are going to be present. And he sets up these 95 propositions against the sale of indulgences, the doctrine of indulgences, which he had made known in his willingness to defend these things. Hey, if anybody wants to come and dispute these things, let's talk about it on All Saints Day because he knows that there's going to be a crowd there. Are you following the story a little bit there? Yeah. Unfortunately, no one did take him up on that invitation. No one did, um, you know, meet him at the university to dispute and, and just kind of work through these things. But because he posted them there, they got shared. Um, they were retweeted, so to speak, in, in however way that they were able to do that. It got around. There was now universal attention, so to speak, on the reality that there, in the practices of the church at the time, that there was something fishy. And this wasn't brand new to people. This, these were things that, there were sentiments that were on many, many people's hearts. And the fact that someone is actually willing to voice it now created a greater sense of attention and urgency. And you might be asking, man, how in the world could a whole population, you know, get to this point where, you know, where, where indulgences and offering money for forgiveness could even be considered reality? And again, next week, actually, we'll examine the slow fade of the Christian church, where it came from as far as, you know, the church that Jesus set up and where it eventually became, you know, 1,200, 1,400 years later. Um, but that, that's for next week. Today is more of an introduction, just to kind of bring a spotlight to, to one of the central roots of the Reformation, and that is the just shall live by faith. Nearly 500 years ago, Martin Luther he, he, he brought this to the foreground. He put a spotlight on it. And I'm so thankful that he did when he posted those 95 theses. Uh, I know this is just an artist's depiction, but man, and you can imagine the boldness there that was required of this man, 33 years old, to stand against the tide of what was taking place there throughout Western Europe. <clears throat> I want us to go there, actually. Let's, let's go to, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans is in the New Testament. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the very beginning. And then Acts and Romans. So Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I just want to take a look at these verses that, that rang so deeply in Martin Luther's heart. When you're there, say amen. All right. These are words of Paul written to the church at Rome. And he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm reading from the New King James. Maybe yours sounds a little bit uh, different, but, but similar here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation. For who? For everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Let's read that again. For everyone who believes, right? For the Jew first. And also for the Greek, in verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not from works to works, but from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. 
Just zero in on that phrase as you're looking there at your Bible. The just shall live by faith. What does that mean? The just, the one who is just. Yeah, the one who is righteous, exactly. The one who is declared righteous is so, not by what I've done, but by what I believe in, whom I believe in. The just one, if, if ever we long to be righteous, if ever we long to be justified in the sight of God, we are proclaimed that not by our own doing, but by God's own gifting. And that's where faith kicks in. It's not faith in our own righteousness, it's faith in Jesus' righteousness. And that's why Paul is so bold about it there in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of that. Why? Because it's God's power to save. It's God's power to save, not my power. God's power to save. And it's that gospel that is the power of God to the salvation of all humankind. I love that the gospel, literally translated, is good news. You know? It's not good advice. This is what you should do. (laughs) It's good news. This is what has been done by Jesus and Jesus alone. And it was the dawning of this truth upon the heart of Martin Luther and upon many in that time that Martin Luther just kind of voiced it so that people could uh, rally around behind it. It was the dawning of this truth upon the heart of Martin Luther at a particular time and in a particular setting. He was uniquely positioned in a role of influence and responsibility at a time in which the abuses of the church stood in such stark contrast to the simplicity of the gospel. And that's why this was the time for the light to shine, so to speak. And so today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to participate in two special actions that Jesus gave to us to remind us of this very truth. Foot washing and communion. These remind us of this very truth, this very root of the Reformation, that the just shall live by faith. How how do we see this in the foot washing? Go with me to the story of the foot washing. It's It's found in John. So you're in Romans. Go to the left. Go to John chapter 13, right before the book of Acts. John chapter 13, this is the only place in scripture where this, this story in the upper room is recorded. John 13. And John does so much to kind of, like as he's narrating this whole story, he gives so much detail that has such deep weight and significance. And we're not going to go exhaustively through each phrase, through each dynamic here. But I want to point a couple of things in which we can see that truly the just shall live by faith. It's not by what I've done, but by what he has done. So if you're there, John 13, say amen. amen. All right. So we're going to go to verse three. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Verse four, rose from supper And laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. I love that. It's like this majestic moment where the king of kings, you know, he's there with his disciples. He rises, but he rises to take the form of a servant. Like the way Jesus goes up is by going down. You know, the way Jesus demonstrates his greatness is by taking the form of of a servant. So he rose from supper, laid aside his garment. And what do you see there in verse 4? What did Jesus clothe himself with? A towel. Okay? A towel. Think about this. The creator. The king of the universe. The one who knew your name and mine long before we ever existed. He's rising. And he's clothed with a towel. Notice what he does with that towel. Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with what? 
the towel with which he was girded. Right? So whatever filth was on the feet of his disciples, where did that dirt end up? On himself. Do you see this? Uh, this? This, I think, is just the gospel in action. He takes our filth upon himself, right? And, and, and our cleansing, our experience of, of just relief from guilt, the, the cleansing of our consciences is not something that we can, like I said earlier, it's not something that we grit and grind our way through. It's something that Jesus takes upon himself. It's by faith. It's by faith. Later on down, Peter, he gets to the disciple Peter, and Peter's just like in disbelief. You can't, you can't do this, you know? You're the king. You're the master. And Jesus says in verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him in verse 8, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no what? No part with me. There's no possibility of partnership. There's 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 no connection. There's no oneness here unless... I wash you. Again, the gospel of the righteous or the just shall live by faith. We have part with Jesus, not by virtue of what I can accomplish, but by virtue of Jesus doing it for you and me. That's what the foot washing demonstrates. When we're washing each other's feet, it's, a, it's we're proclaiming the gospel to each other that we can have part with Jesus, only by Jesus. <laughs> That's the gospel of the foot washing. And it's an example that, that Jesus gave for us there in verse, uh, verse 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's why we, we continue to practice this. And then in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you want to be blessed today? With the experience of the gospel, that, that's what we get to do together as a church. Go with me to Luke, another book to the left from John Luke chapter 22. And this is the story of that last supper where Jesus, you know, having already washed the disciples' feet, now he can truly explain to them the gospel in the bread and juice. This is in Luke 22. It's also recorded in Matthew and in Mark. But Luke 22, I just love the way that it's phrased. Luke 22, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right. So where is the gospel here? Where, Where is the just shall live by faith here? I see it, right? Um, you know, we'll, we'll start in verse 17. We'll start in verse 17. It says, Then he took the cup, this is speaking of Jesus, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 19 it says, He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my what? This is my body. It's a symbol of my body. This, this bread that, that he was breaking and giving to them. It's a symbol of my body that will be broken and be given for the sake, and, sake of others. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, again, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. For you. These symbols of Christ's body, of Christ's blood, these are given and shed for us. Do you hear it? it, it it's a substitute. It's, it's on behalf of. This is not something we do ourselves. It's done for us. So in the act of communion, as we partake of the bread and the juice today, it's really putting ourselves in a position of a recipient. Right? 
It's putting ourselves in a position of receiving a gift. Because salvation, again, is given to us, not gained by us. That's why in all of these things, he says, this do in remembrance of me, he says. This is not an action that we do to remember our own goodness. It's not an action that we do to remember our own ambitions, our own merits. This is a a way we remember Jesus. We live by faith. I love that because he wants... He says, remember this because he knows that we tend to forget it, right? He knows that we have this human tendency to rely upon ourselves, to acknowledge that Jesus has done so much, but in practice, we rely upon ourselves. It's our tendency to rely upon ourselves, to put self in God's place. It's our tendency that still resides in our carnal hearts. And I mean, you think about it, what do we do to, to find significance, In what do we place our hopes? In what do we find our our greatest sense of of relief? Uh, How how do you deal with your sense of guilt and inadequacy? How do you self-medicate that? (laughs) And a lot of times we we do. We rely upon ourselves. We rely upon others. We rely upon our successes, our accomplishments. We rely upon habits. We rely upon escape mechanisms. We rely upon things of ourselves and of this world and not of the Savior. So Jesus says, remember me, remember me. And so in the foot washing and in the communion, let's do that. Let's remember Jesus. That only Jesus can be Jesus. I I cannot save myself. Only the Savior can be my Savior. Did you know that's what Jesus' name means, by the way? Savior? That's why we call him Jesus. (laughs) Only Jesus can be Jesus. And so as we engage these activities today, we're going to go ahead and I'll talk through the logistics of this in just a bit. But I just want to make an appeal to us. That as we engage these practices, these things that might be awkward or new or different, I want to encourage you to let it be a silent sermon. I want to encourage you to let it be an an acted proclamation of the gospel. That as you see someone washing your feet or as you are kneeling before someone else washing their feet, that you would see and hear the gospel. That the just shall live by faith. Don't stop short of simply hearing that and seeing that message. But I appeal to you that as you're in the midst of that action, as you're chewing, as you're swallowing, would you receive the gospel today? I appeal to you, friends. The just live by faith. Let it be your personal testimony that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let no other self-medication satisfy you. Your guilt, your shame, your scars from sin's curse, your brokenness, your hurt, your wounds. This is only accomplished. Healing and restoration can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ alone. And so, as we're, we're just going to go ahead and, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do the foot washing first. And maybe for some of us, we have no concept of how this works. Um, just want <laughs> And what we'll do is we'll actually find partners um, We'll, we've designated a, an area back here for those uh, gentlemen who want to partner with another brother, okay? Um, that, that'll, that'll be the area that you go to. If you're a sister and you want to partner with another sister, the area behind this fireplace, that's where you will go. Um, if you are here with your family um, and you want to, to do this together, I want to encourage you to stay right here, maybe like in these first two rows, just to minimize kind of the moving back and forth of chairs and things. And so here's how we're going to do this. Um, I, want, I want us to recognize that participation in this is totally not forced. This is totally voluntary, okay? 
So if you are feeling like this is new to you, or maybe you're young and you're not even sure that this is really like, you're not even sure the full significance of this, I want to encourage you that you're, you're totally given permission to reverently observe and learn and see and hear the gospel as it's being enacted. Um, you know, what's really cool is that uh, Jesus, when he was washing the disciples' feet and he was giving the bread and the juice, um, he didn't exclude anybody from that room. If there was anybody, I mean, there, there was a man named Judas that could have been excluded from that room, right? <laughs> and yet Jesus knelt before him and he gave, you know, the bread and the juice and stuff. And so I, I want you to recognize that this is a, a, what, what our church calls an open communion. Um, and at the same time, you know, there, there's a, a practice in, in the Seventh-day Adventist church at large that those who are baptized um, be, you know, be able to participate in these things. And really what's that, what that does is it safeguards, it safeguards um, the meaningfulness of this. And so uh, if, you're, if you're young and if you're, if you're a parent with some young children with you, I want to encourage you to let your kids watch. But you could also, I mean, if you feel like they're cognizant of their commitment to Jesus, man, I'll let you decide the degree of their participation, okay? Um, if you're here and you're just exploring these things for the first time, I want to encourage you, if you have a commitment to Jesus and you want him to be your savior, man, the, by, by all means, let this be an actuation of your commitment and of, of your conviction, okay? And so that's what we'll do. Uh, I think I've done enough talking. We'll just let the actions do the talking, okay? Um, so I guess the first logistic is deciding who am I going to partner with for the, for the foot washing? Um, if you're noticing that someone's kind of looking around, hey, form a bond. Just, you know, extend that invitation. Gentlemen, sisters, and then f- uh, families here. This is our service station. Justin and Ruben will help us out. You'll, you'll get some water. You'll find your partner, you'll wash, um, you'll take turns washing, and then we'll come back here and kind of reorganize for the communion. So hopefully with all the shuffling and things, this will probably take, I'm guessing, 12 to 15 minutes, maybe some more. All right. Hey, let's pray together as we, as we kind of start moving. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to do something different, to do something active. And Lord, uh, whatever the, the dynamics in our heart that we are um, wondering about how to proceed, I pray that ultimately it would be your Holy Spirit that leads us from step to step. Uh, Father, please um, help us to, to find the people that we, we, we ought to be experiencing this with, um, whether with a new friend, whether with our families. And so we just pray that you would lead us and that when we come back together for the bread and the juice, that you would continue to speak and proclaim the gospel to us. In Jesus' name, amen.